0: Before we get started, we have to tell you that this podcast is supported by Neon's Ferrari. Michael Mann's critically acclaimed Ferrari is this holiday's must-see film. Following Enzo Ferrari's fight to save his empire and family and win the biggest race of his career, Ferrari has been hailed by critics as the best
1: car movie ever made. Tyler Whitmore on Letterboxd wrote, Ferrari is a masterful biopic. On the life and misfortunes of one man hell bent on perfection, no matter what or who gets hurt along the way. So, with an all star cast of Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, and Patrick Dempsey, Ferrari opens in theaters Christmas Day. Get tickets today. And now, on with the show. Hello and
0: welcome to The Letterboxd Show. Today we are getting into that holiday spirit in this special episode. We are going to have a roundtable discussion about the 2003 rom-com holiday movie, Love Actually. And also give some of our own romantic comedy recommendations in case Love Actually is not one of our... Babes, uh, <laughs> now eight is a lot of legs, David, but um, they support <laughs> they support octopi very well, and we need support as well. So we have brought in some help, haven't we, Slim?
1: Yes, Gemma. It's the twentieth anniversary of this classic film. People have been in my DMs all week. When's this episode com- ep coming out? When's this episode dropping, Slim? Uh, to be honest, I'd never watched this movie until this week. So this is a giant discussion we're planning. <gasps> Ella is already uh-huh. shaking her head on camera, so it's not just, just me wait. and you. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> it's not just Gemma and myself. We needed to call in the experts at Letterboxd HQ. West Coast editor and Hugh Grant scholar, Mia Lee Buccino, Welcome to the show.
0: Pip pip. <laughs> already insulting Ella. How do you feel about uh, that? London, <laughs> London editor. <laughs> <laughs> our London editor and our London Christmas expert Ella Kemp, welcome back. How are you? Are you feeling attacked?
2: The most fitting and most British thing I can do is just really quietly tut at you, and you would <laughs> barely hear it. So um, you know, if you th- if you think there's a little bit of an audio blip in the recording, no, it's just, just me tutting. It's just me tutting at all and of you, and
3: I deserve it. <laughs>
0: I mean, we had to, we had to get the experts and uh, the the, the Grantist and the Londonist to go through our history with this film, our thoughts, our recommendations at the end. Uh, I should also add, good to have a New Zealander on the show because Richard Curtis wrote and directed this movie. He was born in New Zealand. He is one of us. He is one of me. Uh, Anyway, we we have to go through this film, Love Actually, because some would say, some would say this movie deserves it. Isn't that right, Mia?
3: Yes, yes, because in the most reductive terms possible, this movie is bad. But, <laughs> but but mainstream culture talks about it like it's good. But just because it is in fact bad doesn't mean it's not perfect. Like I wrote in my Letterboxd review that I do have to watch it every December or risk septic shock. Ella, <laughs> back me up on this.
2: Yeah, I mean it's obviously a well-known fact that Love Actually is taught in every single school in England. I cannot vouch for Ireland and would not inflict that on Ireland. Never however, mind Charles
0: Dickens. Never mind Dickens. It's all about-
2: <laughs> I. I don't know who that man is. Sorry to that man. I've never met that man. Richard Curtis, however, is my father. Um, which also relates to my other point that um, you know. It definitely features in all of those parenting books, which I have not read and you have not read, but I know that it says that it is compulsory to watch this film um, twice a year, every year. Um, Instead of saving things for the discussion, I must say, before this, I surveyed my parents in a quick 15-second text message to double-check my theory. I asked my dad, how many times have you watched Love Actually? His immediate response was, I'm not re-watching it. Don't even try.
1: (laughs) 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 <laughs> on the attack means- and defensive almost immediately when the movie is brought up.
2: I didn't like I didn't say anything to him. I wasn't asking him to watch it. Mm-hmm. But uh, now we know he won't rewatch it. Don't even try. Oh my
1: god. Okay. That's a, that's an ominous start to this episode. So we tested the Round Table Waters. I guess it was last month. I have no idea when that episode came out. Probably Halloween for The Exorcist. Huge success. People loved it. Uh, so why not go from The Exorcist to Love actually? You know, it seems like the perfect one-two punch. Uh, so we'll get right into this discussion. Uh, 2003, this movie came out. Directed, Richard Curtis. The New Zealand's own Richard Curtis, as we heard earlier. New Zealand's uh, I think he was,
0: disowned Richard Curtis. I think Curtis. he was knighted
1: in New Zealand. I, I'm a, I don't know if they knight people in New Zealand, but maybe it's possible. 3.4 average. This uh, The poll quote for this movie, the ultimate romantic comedy <laughs> follows seemingly unrelated people as their lives begin to intertwine. While they fall in and out of love, affections languish and develop as Christmas draws near.
0: Where do we even begin? I, I think a, a quick recap on, on where love actually landed in Richard Curtis's career is mm. somewhat important. So, I mean, by this stage, by 2003, we had already had Four Weddings and a Funeral. 1994, Richard Curtis wrote it, the great Mike Newell directed. We had already had Notting Hill, Julia Roberts up against Hugh Grant. The previous one was Andy McDowell up against Hugh Grant. So, like, he has been established. Again, uh, Richard Curtis wrote that one. Roger Michell directed it. Um, and then Richard Curtis also co-wrote the adaptation of Bridget Jones's Diary, 2001. Hugh Grant again, this time playing a cad. Daniel the cad, we love him. Oh, so yeah, that's by- a big stretch for <laughs> Hugh to play a cad. <laughs> <laughs> so, by 2003... We are uniting Richard Curtis this time, not just behind the script, but also behind the camera as director. This is his first film that he's directed. Uh, oh, that's and, crazy. And he has elevated Hugh Grant to prime ministerial status. He is the as he prime minister. <laughs> as he should. He is the prime minister of uh, England and uh, Britain. And um, another thing that's fun to know about Richard Curtis that people who only know his rom-com history is, is that he and Rowan Atkinson are basically tied at the hip and that's a big part of why Rowan appears in this, in, in just such a perfect cameo in Love Actually uh, because Richard Curtis basically created co-created Mr. Bean with Rowan Atkinson. They would spend like a year to a year and a half scripting out every single Mr. Bean <laughs> television special. <laughs> well, I
1: love the idea Aww. of going on like a Mr. Bean writing retreat
0: Bean. Oh, in buddies. New
1: Zealand with Sir Richard Curtis <laughs> and Rowan Atkinson.
0: <laughs> so I think I just I think that's like an important base to lay is there mm-hmm. anything else we need to know Ella I think about maybe about London at Christmas time in the movies versus real life that is helpful here
2: Yes I mean I only have my own very personal experience and I I sincerely wasn't planning on bringing this up but to um tell you all how how quick the turnaround is from Halloween to Christmas when I was at university between the years of uh, 2014 and 2016, I worked in a branch in Bristol of Build a Bear Workshop. Ooh. Trust me, this will link back.
0: <laughs> build and build I worked... a bear.
2: Yes. Because... Oh wait, sorry. Do we know what Build a Bear is? No, I, I thought you were we talking about a man States.
0: called Bill Debeer.
2: <laughs> wow. No, Gemma, this is this is <gasps> what this is. Oh. Amazing. Um, so Build-A-Bear Workshop. I'm pretty sure this comes from the US. Yeah, I
3: don't yeah. think oh, we invented it. we have Build-A-Bear Workshops at every mall. We invented
1: bears.
2: Exactly. So, Gemma, Build-A-Bear Workshop <laughs> is this strange and bizarre Frankenstein toy shop where you can go in and there's maybe two dozen... This, I don't mean this to sound as ominous as it is, but two dozen <laughs> bear heads and empty bodies... <laughs> And, and you then, yourself, with the Build-A-Bear... Uh, I can't remember what our titles were, but employee. Uh, you 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 fill the bear. You yes. you stuff the bear. So the employee, like, stuffs the bear. <laughs> it sounds so
1: dark the way you're describing it. And there's it's a, a, a lack of mystique it's what when you're I didn't saying think,
3: it.
2: I didn't think I was going to have to explain this. <laughs> I was just going to use it as my case study for what I was about to say. Anyway, so it's, it's just like a customizable bear toy shop. So you can add in... Does that make it sound any better? If you
1: say it like, if your child wants to make their own stuffed teddy bear, they can. And it's like a magical experience for them.
3: It's a place of
2: dreams.
0: That's a nicer
3: spin on it, yeah.
0: Right, as opposed to the horror film that I'm imagining could come out of. It sounds like Um, a child's
1: play or something that that (laughs) I will just
2: describe. I mean, I will say, in in my days, it was the kind of place where they would hire students and pay them five pounds an hour and let Mm -hmm. them work on hangovers. So you decide Mm -hmm. how... Anyway, my point... (laughs) On Builder Bear, because there was one. My point on Builder Bear is that, like any good toy shop, it is very themed at all times of year. And I remember very vividly that after we locked up the shop on Halloween, you would literally turn all of the displays into Christmas on October 31st. Oh. So that November 1st, when you open, it's ready. So that's my point. It's that, that, you know, we we don't waste any time. It's like, by the time you're celebrating Bonfire Night on November 5th, it's like, you've probably got a Christmas hat on. <laughs> um, it's intense. And I must brag and say that for truly the first time ever, Myself and my partner Tom had bought all of our Christmas presents for everyone before December began this year. My God. So so that's like early and organized for us, but it's not very surprising in terms of lots of other people we know in the UK,
3: basically. Mm,
0: That that answers for me a question I had about the scene where Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman are deciding which doll to give to their daughter's friend, like from a pile of presents they've got on the table. And then in the very next scene, they're going
1: Christmas shopping again. I don't even remember the scene that Gemma just mentioned. I have no <laughs> recollection of that moment. In well, movie,
3: with you. Well, it was Shall your first start? watch, Slim. It was your first <laughs> it was, watch. That's it was. totally fine. What do you remember?
1: There's a <laughs> lot going on in this movie, folks. That's what I feel <laughs> yeah. like people just are lost on it. So th- this is the roundtable format for this show. We'll go around the room and, and talk about maybe some high points of our, our viewing and maybe our history with this. Movie. So I guess we'll start with me. I have no history with this.
0: <laughs> you have a history of us haranguing you to watch it and you going, I will never. And then finally we're like, we know how to do it.
1: Right. We thought that <laughs> this might make plan. a good conversation.
2: Also, Slim, I must say, I'm really like amazed that you and I have been very friendly up until now. And you just completely <laughs> kept this all to yourself. I do think that if I'd known this about you before, you know, my first time coming on the Letterboxd show to... Uh, I don't know how long it. Yeah. Two or three years ago, I would have been a bit more skeptical of you. So, um, well done. You've you've, <laughs> you've kept everything. You've kept everything very quiet. What's even yeah. crazier
1: well is when I got to the scene with the Walking Dead guy, Andrew Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Come on. When he, does this, he does no. He does,
1: <laughs> the Walking Dead oh, guy. one scene. I know, I know. But like, Ugh. I forgot already when it got to the scene where he's doing the cards. I'm like, I, I literally slapped my forehead. I'm like, oh my God, yep. I forgot that this was even in this movie. This
0: is this movie.
1: So yep. yeah, there were so many like, this is this movie scene. Like the big, <laughs> uh, where they are at the concert at the end. And like, you know, the, the Hugh and... Is it Martine, the actress's name? Hugh and Martine, like, are revealed on stage, and they're all clapping, and, you know, the things come down, I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen that Oh,
3: yeah, before. the the prime minister publicly snogging his, the woman yeah. who works for snogging. him, and there's no scandal, and we also, are supposed to like it. At the school nativity, yeah, which we will get like- onto in great detail later.
1: <laughs> also, another another uh, thing about me, which we probably didn't talk about in the Letterboxd show, but I thought snogging was more X-rated for the majority of my life. So when people said, like, they saw someone snogging, I was like, <laughs> damn, okay, you saw this?
2: Sorry. Sorry, have you heard of the movie Angry Thongs and Perfect Snogging?
1: Because what of did that. you think happens no, in that movie? I have not heard of that. I'll watch that. Maybe that was on the Left Love Actually pile that oh, I never watched.
3: i I've been wanting to rewatch it for so long. Oh, that's a good reminder to, re- to rewatch. Yes. Wow! 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 Wow!
1: So, I want to hear from you, folks. What was the first time that you saw Love Actually, Mia? What was how long ago was that? Was it recently? Was it what no. was that experience like? <laughs> It was ex- No, I'm not an idiot like you, Slim. No, I saw a long Slim time ago. I start.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I oh my god, this is one of the most formative movies of my life. So I watched this at the age, the tender age of around 13. I was harboring an extreme crush on Hugh Grant after watching music and lyrics. I made it my mission to watch all of his films. And um, but this one was hard because it was rated R, so I my parents didn't oh, let me watch it, and so I funny. Had to, I know so I had to like sneakily record it off the TV with a VHS, um, and then I would like rewatch the Hugh Grant dance scene on repeat. But um, yeah, it's it's rated <laughs> R because of the Martin Freeman adult film yeah. storyline, oh, and you yeah, see bare sure. breasts in the film. Yeah, Um you But luckily, I saw the edited version. So yes, I've watched it many many times sense and it's it's a weird one because it like both I have a soft spot in my heart for it while also recognizing its many many flaws <laughs>
1: yeah I see that a lot in reviews where there's almost like a conflict with this movie is bad but question mark
3: to me it is perfect <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ella what about you what, what was the first time you saw this
2: Okay, so I genuinely cannot answer this question because I was I was trying to think about this the other day and I think there have been three periods in my life, just generally, which also then feed into Love Actually. There was a period when I was growing up, like my parents didn't really watch many movies and so I didn't watch many movies. I genuinely believe that the only movies I had watched for many years were like some stuff on TV and Love Actually. (laughs) I know that in so many conversations at school, I would tell people that Love Actually was my favorite movie. And it was only when I was like 16 or 17 that I thought, wait, surely I've seen other movies. Surely that can't be true, but I just couldn't think of anything else. And then when I started, you know, studying movies, I was like, oh yeah, this is embarrassing. I'm going to stop saying that as my answer. So I kind of, you know, like a, like a stroppy ch- teenager, pretended it didn't exist for a few years because I thought, oh, well, people are saying it's bad, so it must be bad, so I must ignore it and it's terrible. And I think i rewatched re-watched it now in my enlightened era, having seen every movie in the world, as we know. I think i rewatched re-watched it, you know, in this period of my life, maybe two or three years ago, being like, okay, I can give it another chance. And now I'm kind of like, no, maybe it's good. But it's 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 so like entrenched in my bones. I could probably do a one-woman show of the whole film. Like I know um I I know the rhythms of when people talk. Um I you know, I will say I had a similar experience when seeing Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging. Didn't think I was gonna bring that up on this podcast, but um, uh, went to see it in the cinema this year, which is again incredible. And yeah, and um and I hadn't re-watched that honestly since I was a teenager. And it's so strange, the muscle memory that not only I have, but it was a sold out room of like hundreds of, you know, grown up teenage girls where we would all laugh ahead of certain lines because you know exactly the way they're going to be said. And I feel exactly the same with Love Actually. It's like every scene, I'm enjoying it before it comes. Like, you know, the scene with, um, oh, I can't remember his name, Colin. Colin Frissell when he's in Wisconsin it's like when they're about to say the word table it's like i'm cackling 10 minutes before that cuz i know it's coming so when it doesn't really feel like a movie anymore you know it's just just, just one of my personality traits
0: mm-hmm. isn't that what we love about rewatching our favorite films especially when they're comedies or rom-coms is that the same thing is going to happen every time nothing will be different and and isn't that what people think we're weird for <laughs> I will
2: say it's not one of my favorite movies anymore. I want that to be on the record. Okay. I don't want anyone asking me about that. Like, it's good, but I'm not saying it's one of my favorite we'll make that movies. The quote Please leave the episode like.
1: so that no <laughs> no vague thoughts can happen. I think the same thing about rewatching movies, how you can have a totally different view or opinion on it. Like I have a running joke where my wife and I watch Scrooged every Christmas with Bill Murray, and like for the last few years, I was like, is this movie? Really I hate this movie. Like, why are we watching this movie? And then like every year it like goes up a half star or a star and I just have like a different view of it. And I'm like, ah, I'm more accepting of the fun this time around. And it's just, it could be different three years from now. Could have a different total view of, of a movie when you rewatch it. So I, I think that this feels like one of those movies.
3: Oh, oh yeah. I agree. The, like the first couple times I watched it, I was like, Oh, this is cute and fun. I'm having a great time. And then you start being like, hmm, Yuck. And then you're like, okay, this is the worst movie ever. And then you're like, actually, it's so bad that it's fun. And then you're like, this is the best movie ever. So that was kind of my journey. I thought I hated it like so much more than I did. But then I rewatched with my friends. and I was like laughing. We were laughing the entire Mm. time. So it's like, Like I can't begrudge it because we were so entertained.
1: Plus, I think those like (laughs) those experiences of watching with a group of people that you love or your friends that could add like countless different emotions than maybe just like you watching by yourself.
3: Yes, you and know. Slim, I, I have to bring this up really quick. I watched it with uh, my friend and Letterboxd member, Demi Adija and he had also never seen it before, despite me haranguing him about mm, it for years and you. years. Um, so you are not alone. Mm-hmm. And wow. he had he had so many questions throughout. He was like, where do these people work? Why do they keep calling that woman fat? Why is airport security so lax? Oh, and oh, welcome to birthday. I know. My answer <laughs> to all of them were like, it doesn't matter. Like it literally does it not matter. matter at all. <laughs> <laughs> he and I need to talk.
0: On the question of where do these people work, I <laughs> I did on this rewatch, I do have this to say on the positive side of love, actually. And that is it's extremely arts forward when you think about what all these people do for jobs. So Juliet is, I think, somehow in fashion, Keira Knightley's character, because in that one scene where you see her on the phone, behind her there are various... Fabric samples and designs. So, like, I had to kind of look into the background to figure out what everybody does here. But you know, there's filmmaking. Okay, it's porn filmmaking, but it's still filmmaking. And <laughs> you've got uh, you've got music and musicians. You've got Liam Neeson as an, I think, an architect. You've got DJs. <laughs> Colin Firth as a writer. Uh, um, the Walking Dead guy runs an art gallery with lots of big nudes because you know <laughs> Richard Curtis will never yep. ever miss a moment to put as many nude bodies in a film mm-hmm. as possible. When and- make British Advocates people yes.
3: Hot, white, blonde girls too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that one, you know, Alan Rickman works for some kind of non-profit even though he's a dirtbag. So, you know, what he, it's fine. What he does for a job, it, it kind of outweighs his dirtbagness, I think. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so arts forward. That's what these people do for jobs. The arts and prime minister.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about the prime minister role. So Gemma, what was your first time experience like? Do you remember... Seeing this and and has your opinion changed over time or is it the same?
0: Uh, I remember seeing it in cinemas in 2003, probably saw it more than once. Uh, definitely would have gone with um, my gang of girlfriends. We are called the Brunette Mafia and we would have, <laughs> <laughs> we would have walked out just completely deeply identifying with Emma Thompson's character as as kind of the emotional heart of the film. And, and the only, <laughs> yeah, all I remember is what I think now, which was what an absolute shit show of misogyny, homophobia and fat shaming. Um, how sad, because there's lots of really fun stuff in there. Mm. And, and I have this, uh, I I decided that I needed to, as well as work out what everyone does for a job, Um, I had to actually go back and add up the number of fat shaming jokes. I've done it for the people because I did a Google search. There's plenty of think pieces like we do not need to be doing this podcast. There are many podcasts and there are think pieces out there up the wazoo about all the things that are wrong with, um, with Love Actually. But specifically because the 20th anniversary is this year, Richard Curtis has done a couple of interviews where he has basically said, I know, and I wouldn't do that again. Uh, My daughter has told me I can no longer use the word fat in movies, and I now understand why, and and these jokes are regrettable. Um, So I went back and added them up, and there are 10 uh, overall, um, and uh, it's horrendous, and it ranges from Billy Mack, the Bill Nye's pop star calling his lovely manager, fat and a chubby employee. Natalie's dad calls her plumpy. Um, There's even in the the subtitles, shut up, Miss Dunkin' Donut 2003. Uh, Aurelia's refusing the croissant because if you saw my sister, you'd understand why. And then the horrendous scene in the prime minister's office when he Uh says, you know Natalie who works here and she replies, his chief of
1: staff replies, the chubby girl, pretty sizable ass, huge thighs. It's so bizarre. Like, for my right. first time viewing, it was like, what is going on? Mm, like, yeah. seeing it for the first time in 2023, it was like the most bizarre writing. But I mean, it wasn't also, I guess, historically with his writing, this was also Bridget Jones's Diary. Didn't yeah. I rewatch that yes. for four oh, yeah. days? Vibe. Oh, the yeah. Same, yeah. same vibes.
0: But I would say that that was built into Helen Fielding's books. Yes. So okay. every chapter of Bridget Jones's Diary would start with Bridget Jones weighing herself. And so there's sort of like internalized... Misogyny and internalized fat mm. shaming going on there that they that they chose to adapt into the film, take into the film adaptation, absolutely. But there was a big part of it as well. But it's so interesting because I also just this month watched Your Fat Friend, Jenny Finley's <gasps> incredible oh, documentary, yeah, about Aubrey Gordon, and it is such an extraordinary documentary. It's in cinemas in New York right now, actually, doing its Oscar run, and it, it, it was fascinating watching that and then watching this in the same month and going, ah, it is, like they say that, that that fat jokes are kind of the last bastion in terms of punching down and everybody in comedy learning not to punch down. And you know, what can you, there are a few, there are a few homophobic jokes in Love Actually as well, I would add. But on the plus side, I would say Liam Neeson Innocent when he is asking his beautiful stepson who he's in love with at school? He says. So what is she or he? Blah 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 blah. And I thought two thousand and three, Richard Curtis. That is that is forward thinking. That's a beautiful line to give to Liam Neeson. But it seems like uh, you could just you can just fat shame all day long. You can continue to punch down at fat people, and that's what Aubrey Gordon's work, who's the subject of this documentary, is all about. So anyway, yeah. I feel like I did some good viewing this month.
3: Did you catch? They also Aurelia also calls Colin Firth. She a yeah, him for says, being chubby, quote. Yeah,
0: she says you're getting chubbier like, every day. Like, <laughs> yeah.
3: What? what is going on? Yeah. What is it's going so on? From, I know that you oh, love and, Colin Firth. Oh, no, wait. So. And when,
0: oh, yes. And when <laughs> Emma, I was going to say, when Emma Thompson comes home from the party at which her husband has danced with the sexy employee who's seducing him, she goes, that was a good night, except I felt fat.
1: <laughs> God, that secretary wanted Snape so bad. Oh, my man. God. It was Unfortunately, like her I identified job. with
3: her for a lot mm. of reasons. One being mm. her name was Mia. She mm. had beautiful dark hair. She had gorgeous outfits. And she and found she Alan was... Rickman attractive. Exactly. So he did nothing wrong, <laughs> Mia.
2: Mia, is your bedroom also just a uniform shade of lilac?
3: I was obsessed with her bedroom. We were really noticing the bedrooms of the characters on like, this one. Like,
2: it's watch. crazy. It's like, that room does not exist. I do think this was the invention of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I think that no other film has ever thought, where does the Manic Pixie Dream Girl sleep? <laughs> and honestly, is LILAC the only room. film that dared. And it's like, but it's so funny because it's so inconsistent with every other room in the film. It's like, yeah. I've actually never thought about anybody's bedroom room in this film and I don't know why I would and now I'm thinking like where do Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman sleep like where does Kara Knightley sleep like what do their rooms look like and why do I know so much about Mia's fucking lilac bedroom
1: (laughs) I was thinking of the bedrooms I think it was maybe Laura Linney's bedroom it looked like Rachel McAdams bedroom from About Time it was like almost the same set and it's such a weird thing for me to remember out of About Time and also because Richard Curtis directed them both
0: Exactly, so, yeah, there you go. Sure. But I think the other thing in terms of having seen it at the movies in two thousand and three and and going back to see it a bunch of times, even though we were in a feminist rage about it, is is it was the cast. and and you cannot underestimate mm-hmm. how important this particular cast was at that time in cinema and in British cinema, especially. I mean Emma Thompson, at this point she has done, much Ado about nothing. Remains of the Day. Howard's End. In the name of the Father. Like Sense and Sensibility. Just so many bangers. British period bangers. Alan Rickman, the same again. Hugh Grant with his history with uh, Richard Curtis. Um, it's it, it. It was a big moment for cinema. Like this is mm. this is a cast for the ages. And I've just dropped some photos from the premiere. Into our flat. Oh my yeah, god, they're so dated,
1: too. Like <laughs> yeah, they like to stunned me. I,
2: can you imagine <laughs> if we were doing four favorites?
1: Oh, my God. Like,
2: for this premiere.
3: Imagine
1: the <gasps> carnage in that video. LA.
3: <laughs> I can't.
1: He <laughs> oh, almost just passed out oh at the god. thought. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, had, I had never thought about that.
1: Kira Knightley oh. giving her four faves on <gasps> the premiere stage. They're all stage so pretty. Yeah. <laughs>
2: You're so pretty. Think, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm gonna stop you all right there. <laughs> yeah, Ella, like That was I'm the here, one line. I was just now. saving it
1: up. I knew I'd get one, that was it.
3: Ella, do
2: yours. Okay, I do have to say, like, about myself generally in the world, I can't do any accents. I can't do general impressions of, you know, like, I can't have a full conversation as a person, but my very niche talent <laughs> is doing, like, specific sentences from, like, really just ridiculous things if anyone in the UK is listening who watches Race Across the World, like, DM me and I'll voice note you the introduction <laughs> of Trish telling Kathy that she believes in her because I I can do that. Um, but no, Kira Knightley, it's like every single time I'm getting dressed to go anywhere. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes you do think you look nice, right? And, you know, sometimes you're fishing for a compliment from your loved one. I'm pretty sure that my partner does not clock that every time we're going like out for dinner or to a friend's house or to a carpet or something... When I'm like looking at my outfit in the mirror, I'm just going, "I look quite pretty."
3: <laughs> I look quite pretty,
2: and he doesn't understand. <laughs> that's why. And every time that someone comes over for dinner, and I'm thinking, "What should I make for dessert?" Banoffee pie, <laughs> and I can't, I can't undo it.
1: I was gonna say, Kira Knightley. I was trying to place like Kira Knightley, Pirates of the Caribbean time frame because that's the the main thing that I think I. Knew of her growing up, and also just like her arc in this movie is so bizarre. I talked about Andrew Lincoln. I mean, I just couldn't believe how Andrew Lincoln's character is so obsessed with her and in love with her, and yet in her opinion, they've barely even spoken over hey. the course of their French-like relationship. I was. I couldn't even understand that. Plot. She's
3: also seventeen years old.
1: Yes, it, is she in seventeen At in real time, life? When filming,
3: in in real life, she is seventeen years old, Good and heavens. he has been obsessed with her for years.
1: Um, <laughs> God. So,
3: let's maybe, we can either think about that or not think about that.
2: <laughs> I will say as well, the whole like, they've, you know, they've never spoken to each other. Uh, for anyone who has been like, n- you know, not married in the last five years and has ever been in like a situationship with someone that they've never actually met for like three months and it's ruined their life. It's a thing. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. need to have spoken. You do yeah. not. <laughs> I wish you needed to, but sadly. <laughs> and this- Although, I mean... <laughs> They didn't have social media, but you know, there's ways.
0: Right. And as Andrew Lincoln said, it was a self-preservation measure to not talk to her or something. But Slim, have you now that you've seen Love Actually, have you seen the horror cut of that storyline?
1: No, I am I don't want to see that. I'm trying to gauge how much more Love Actually content that I need to consume. <laughs> oh, for the okay. Rest two of the year. things:
0: the horror genre cut of the Andrew Lincoln Kara Knightley storyline because it works.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm already envisioning it, and you're absolutely he's, right.
0: He's just a stalker, right? It's disgusting. And secondly, uh, the the Red Nose Day special. Oh
3: God, I saw that, that was, on Letterboxd Letterbox. That, right that one we recorded. is really hard to watch. It features Hugh Grant dancing to Hotline Bling.
0: I know. Um, And he puts his knee out. Disgusting. It's 15 minutes long,
1: right? It's like a short or something? It's 15
0: minutes long. It's nothing. But
3: it feels longer than the (laughs) film, the 136-minute film.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to to echo Gemma's comments about the the cast, I couldn't believe the cast in this movie. So many of my notes are just, like, writing the actor's name when they appear (laughs) on screen, and I was shocked that they were in it because it just kept happening.
2: Well, also just one one tiny note on the cast um having grown up with this film you just don't really question it. you're just like oh this person in love actually and then I re-watched it I think last year or the year before after I'd watched Mad Men for the first time all the way through and then I was like holy fucking shit why is January Jones just like here yeah. someone yeah. save yeah. Oh her yeah. for one scene I'm like who who hurt you here mm-hmm.
1: it's crazy <laughs> and Alicia Cuthbert appears in that group of women too that are like also horny as hell and Why? ready to seduce him.
3: Thank you for bringing up the horniness of this film. I know we've already brought it up before, but I, I have to talk about this because this movie, Please. there is an abundance of horniness, but there is almost no eroticism. It's like, it's it's very much in like a cheeky, bawdy, Shakespeare wannabe type of, mm. you know, like pervy comedy, but it's not actually erotic except for the scene where Colin Firth and, uh, and Aurelia are like stealing glances at each other in the car. I think that's kind of sweet.
2: Well, Mia, how do you feel about Colin Frissell? <laughs>
0: oh, my God. Film? Are we going there?
2: Are we, are we going, going to Colin Frissell? The other Colin F. <laughs> I, ju- I just think we have to go there because I think this is maybe like the worst thing about me in my life is like that I laugh. Because he's he's absolutely... No, but he's insane. He's so insane. Like, (laughs) that's what's funny. I also think this was the first time watching it that now that, um, you know, now that I work across time zones and I'm aware of the US, I was like, what's he doing here (sighs) of all places? Wisconsin? Yeah. I was like, I know where that is now. Why is he there? (laughs) Um, He's just... I will also say, wherever you will go by The Calling, which plays as, you know, the scene sort of fades out and he's going back into the girl's bedroom and there's no room for clothes and whatever. um, Oh God. I do also think, sorry, I do also think that part of the reason that that scene just makes me laugh is because, you know, those random songs that you grow attachments to as a teenager for no reason whatsoever. They're like on an advert that you didn't even care about. And you're like, this is the greatest song ever made. Wherever You Will Go by The Calling was that song for me for like 15 years. So by the time it happens, I'm like, ooh, Colin, (laughs) which is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's wrong. I know. It is very wrong. But
0: this recent rewatch, I'm glad you raised the Colin Frizzell storyline, Ella, because this recent rewatch gave me the opportunity to realise something I hadn't realised before, which is that the best character in this film, the very best, the truest character in Love Actually, is Colin's friend, Tony.
3: Who's like begging him not
0: to do it. I love him. He is somehow always on set, you know, like he's like the first AD on the porn films. And then he's also somehow always hanging around Colin's job, reading the newspaper in the catering tent out the back of the wedding. Anyway, Tony tells Colin he's full of crap. Tony tells Colin he's a lonely, ugly asshole and he must accept it. Tony also... Let's Colin stay at his flat when Colin sublets his own flat to pay for his flight to America. And and in a true sign of friendship in London, he not only sees him off at the airport, he also picks him up
1: from the airport.
0: Aw, that okay. is true friendship. Yeah, but Tony
1: Tony was Tony was wrong. Colin was right when he got <laughs> Wait, when he okay. got to <laughs> now, Milwaukee.
2: Slim, now Slim, Slim, I'm gonna <laughs> hop right over that bit. <laughs> Over to the point where um, people get collected at the airport because, like, I have a bone to pick with this film with you know the entire framing device and structure of Hugh Grant saying, When I look at the arrivals at Heathrow Airport.
3: Thank I don't you. see, you know, I don't see how I see love. And also when he's like 9 I'm like, we no, I, thank you, Wait, Ella. I have to but, say this. It's it, yeah. The 9-11 <laughs> drop happens one minute and 45 seconds into the movie. We get less than two minutes in and Hugh Rant starts talking about 9-11. In
0: 2003, it's like <laughs> the wounds are raw.
2: Fucking crazy. But yeah. like, I have to put up a sort of like... You know, logistical and practical, like, this would never happen. Yeah. Now, my parents live very near Gatwick Airport, right? And, like, Heathrow (laughs) is also not very hard to get to. I have been, you know, I don't want to brag, I've travelled. I've been on trips, been on planes. And often my parents are like, oh, we'll pick you up from the airport. And I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Not once in my goddamn silly little life (laughs) have my parents come into Gatwick or Heathrow Airport to stand at the arrivals. (laughs) Why? Because it's expensive park. Yeah. And so every single time that I fly back into Gatwick, also I'm like yelling so much right now. <laughs> every, every single time I fly into Gatwick, and I'm sure that anyone else who flies into Gatwick will know this. My dad says, text me when the plane lands so that he can leave. And then he says, cross the road, I'll meet you at the Sofitel Hotel.
0: Yes, you will. So hey, okay, thank you Ella for bringing that up. Because first of all, it doesn't happen. And second of all, it <laughs> definitely doesn't happen that whenever a prime minister or a, you know, highly ranked cabinet minister gets gloomy about the state of the world, they go to the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport to watch uh, (laughs) the fact that love actually is all around. And I know this because I have worked not for the British government, but for the lowly New Zealand government, for a lowly minister who wasn't even in cabinet. And we got driven across the tarmac, through the fancy gates, straight to the plane when we would go on our international trips. So there is no Prime Minister standing in no arrivals airport looking at love actually being all around. I'm sorry, but it is false.
2: Also, anyone who has tried to... Fl- I mean, again, you know, we're talking 20 years since the film was made. Fine, air traffic control has changed. I don't know why I know about this now, but I do. Because since, since March 2020, with the COVID-19 pandemic, like... Flying is fucked. All right. Like No plane goes anywhere on time. Okay. So by the time you get where you need to go, you're furious. Okay. There's no love. You're just There's like, no get, me, just out of get me out of this airport. Get me home. <laughs> because did my plane even take off?
0: Who, do you have to screw around here to get Ella a cup of tea and a chocolate biscuit? Because I have never <laughs> that was good. I have never heard you swear so much. I'm so sorry.
1: Ella has been waiting for this episode for yeah. years and it's finally coming to fruition.
0: Oh, my gosh. Anyway, back to Abdul Salas, who plays Tony. He needs to be in more movie roles. Tony, Tony runs.
1: He's is amazing. Tony, I, I, I said my piece about those characters. I think it's obvious who was correct, yeah. unfortunately Unfortunate, or unfortunately.
3: That used to be, like, my least favorite storyline. Oh, it still kind of is. Um, but I, like, hated it so, so, so much. And then when I watched it with my friends, they're all, like, comedians, and they liked how absurd it is that it actually, you know— pays mm-hmm. off. So they were like, this is our favorite storyline. And so now I feel like I have to soften on it, but it still makes me mad and laugh at the same time. This movie is a conundrum.
0: Yeah. I was thinking <laughs> about the directing in terms of comedy, because the other thing going into seeing this film when it first came out for me was that not only did Richard Curtis do Mr. Bean with Rowan Atkinson, but he also did Blackadder. I don't know mm, yes. how many people here are aware of the comic I genius. Know. Okay good. That is Blackadder. That is Rowan Atkinson in uh you know puffy pants uh being in the Middle Ages. It's amazing. Um and so I was really interested in how the comedy of directing played out given that this was his first go as director. And there are some real on the nose classic moments like at the Christmas party when Alan Rickman says to Emma you're a saint and then immediately turns and there's the devil, like literally devil's horns. I know, in the form Mia's of little devil Mia. outfit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, love her. so corny, so corny.
3: <laughs> Where's the theme? Like, why is she wearing devil horns? She's why corny as allow hell. This? She yeah. wants Rickman she's so the, bad. Corny and she's a woman and that's yeah. bad if you're a yeah. girl. But if you're a yeah. boy, it's good in the mm, love mm, actually mm. world. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Mia. Sorry, yeah, I, got, yeah. I got confused with my silly yeah. woman brain. I know, it's a little confusing. I know, I know. <laughs>
1: if you guys need me to explain anything in this movie just let me know I'll walk you through it I'm happy to do it
3: I actually have a question for you because I know you're a Colin Firth fan as we've alluded to (laughs) so I'm curious was he giving you broomstick vibes again because I believe that's how you described him in Bridget Jones' Diary
2: uh sorry what does that
1: mean from Bridget Jones' Diary I I think I probably said something along the lines of he had the charisma of a broomstick Hmm. in that film I just millions of
3: women will disagree (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Again, Slim, how did you keep this quiet? Like, did this whole holding to like pacify me.
2: So I think I, would come I hid on the that podcast?
1: comment in the episode. We didn't, we didn't socially wow. share that quote anywhere. Uh, I did like him in this movie. I liked him more That's than success. Bridget Jones's Diary.
0: Is that uh, because just, he had a cleaner, and her job was to use the broomstick?
1: <laughs> Maybe <laughs> there was some kind of subconscious thing happening.
0: So he has those no, okay. Tell fits. us, tell us why yeah. you like. Tell us why Please you like Uncle Jamie. Yes. Yeah, Uncle Jamie.
1: <laughs> I mean, he had a bad go of it. You know, he his wife obviously having an affair. I mean, oh, I didn't even, even know cucked, that that was the plot. Yeah. Was ha- was yeah. He was cuckolded seriously. His brother. <laughs> and and I, also, he's an idiot for not even seeing it. Like, I didn't even know that was the plot. And then her staying home, and I was like, is she having an affair? Like immediately, and it it, it, it turns I'm out sick. to be feature- true.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I'm gonna stay at home in my in the bed. Get out of here. But I, I did like his storyline. I like the storyline with um, the cleaner. But also, like, what? How much time has transpired?
0: I think about it's what, this one like week. A week. Yes, it was one so, week. One, one week. week of language lessons. Yeah,
3: he learns Portuguese in a week. Um, to propose marriage to a woman who works for him, uh, mm, and again, we're supposed so- to love that, and I kind of do. I actually do. Like <laughs> it. No, no, Mia, no, no.
2: It's, a, no. it's nonsense. Yeah. Like even
1: like I it, love it. I don't care. Is this six months that have passed by? Because no, it's not. No. I know, but it's sense. like even that maybe is so fa- is too fast because he's like <laughs> Man, grieving so- his wife who is cheating on him, but he's like. Am I in love with this girl? It's like day two. I'm <laughs> no, I, what, uh,
3: about, okay, but what about
0: what about when Emma Thompson says to Liam Neeson on the phone, I realize your wife's just died, but I don't have time to talk about that right now. It doesn't mean I don't you know, like have a lot of sympathy for you and hangs up. And then the next scene is the funeral. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, what? I thought we were like a few weeks after the wife dying. Now
1: the one the one plot that surprised me out of everything was the fact that. Harry and Karen did separate or are separated at the end of the movie. I don't know if they are. Mm. I don't think they are. It felt like they were just from her reactions, like it's good to have you home or it's good to see you. It's good to see you. I think she's a
0: good actress. She lets him kiss her on the cheek, Mm -hmm. um, but she doesn't kiss him on the mouth. And the kids are there and they all walk away together. You're right. We're talking about mm-hmm. the Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman storyline yeah. after the devastating and single best and should have been an yeah. award-winning scene involving Joni Mitchell. We can all agree on that, right? Yes. We can all agree on...
3: Oh, yeah. That yeah. is the best performance in this whole thing. Yeah. It's one of Emma Thompson's best performances. Yeah. Like, I'm so sorry. Ever, ever, ever. <laughs> but it's
0: so good. But to that point, Slim, I I have a theory because earlier... At the party, she notices him dancing with Mia. And then when they get home and she says, I felt fat, and they talk about, you know, Pavarotti's clothes, um, then she also brings it up again. Mia's very pretty, isn't she? And he's yes, like, Yes, oh, she, she is. You? I remember I,
3: I went, yeah, I she had, is. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, you don't mean me. Right. Um, and he's <laughs> like, oh, I hadn't noticed. And she says, be careful with that one. Uh... You, something like, you know what you're like. And I was like, this has oh, happened before. Oh, Oh, this is not have. the first that. time it's yeah. happened
1: in their relationship. Also, what a strange sentence to say. You know yeah. what you're like.
0: Yeah, something like, like that. It was something like, <laughs> wow. even if she's, you that's know, true you, and you, he has
1: yeah. done things in the past, it's just such a strange sentence to utter out loud. Yeah,
0: but when she says you're going to have to watch that one, and it's really, really interesting because you could read it as she's, a, you know, she's a terrible, you know, seducer. Mm-hmm. But actually what she's saying is, I know you're a philanderer and she's she's one that's going to crack. Through, mm. and wow. if we wow. do see her wearing the necklace later, so we know that something happened. He's mm-hmm. oh.
3: wow, a rare moment of ambiguity and complexity in the film Love Actually. That's
0: wonderful.
1: <laughs> also, one of the worst gifts you can give, probably to your spouse, like he he, he should have put some more thought into. That oh, scenario. and also when he
0: said it's to continue your emotional education. Oh. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
1: incredible (laughs) impression.
0: Thank you Um, very
2: much. (laughs)
1: Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) May I also bring up my Letterboxd rewatch from Christmas Eve in 2020? Mm -hmm. Which again, this is like peak COVID, so I was like, I don't have time for anything. Um, I wrote then and I stand by it now. Turned it off after Alan Rickman (laughs) gave Emma Thompson a £10 CD for Christmas rather than the £270 necklace because quite frankly, I've been through enough this year. And you know, sometimes you write in reviews... That you're like screaming or crying or you turn something off and it didn't actually happen. No, it did. Like, yeah. I think I watched it and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, what? Well, this is, uh, it's pointless. You know, I have seen the whole film, but I think at that moment in time, I was like, I don't
3: need this. Mm-hmm. This doesn't need to be happening to me personally right yes. now. And that is an adult decision. <laughs>
0: yes. Some Christmases, I don't actually re-watch Love Actually. I just read letterboxed reviews of Love Actually because they just... Like Christmas, they just keep giving every year. Mm. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a couple of favourites this year from Colin. I'm presuming not Colin Firth or Colin Frizzle. Uh, this movie is like a bad burrito, not enough bean, which <laughs> which, <Jeez. laughs> which brings me back to the, the, the one thing I wanted to note, of a dire- directorial decision that Richard Curtis made around the very first time we see Rowan Atkinson in this movie. It is the perfect, perfect exemplar of the kind of Awkward, absolute cringe comedy that Curtis is so good at. And it's Alan Rickman in the jewellery section of the department store uh, off to look at necklaces for Mia, who's very pretty. And there's a a tall man behind the counter and we see him and then he just kind of grabs a thing for another customer and leaves, revealing behind him, already in the scene, Rowan Atkinson. As the shop boy, and it's just <laughs> like, oh, here we go. It just, it's one of those ones where, in that moment, you know that pairing Alan Rickman in this particular character with Rowan Atkinson, no matter what he's going to do, is just going to be a moment of pure cringe genius. It was, yeah, I loved that.
3: I was just going to say, if you love Rowan Atkinson, Hugh Grant, and unnecessary fat jokes, check out Wonka in
1: theaters. <laughs> oh, oh, oh my God. No. <laughs> was that an ad oh, read? I didn't know yeah. we are doing an ad <laughs> read in the middle of this episode. It's organic.
3: Yeah. It's <laughs> an organic oh, one. Oh.
0: Wait, are we still doing fat jokes in 2023? We are. I thought oh. we were over them, but then I saw Wonka. Yeah. I thought we were, we're over them in 2022 when we had that, just that one. And Everything Everywhere all at once and I was like ah oh, that's the one line that took me out of this film because mm. it's indicated that this film is not for everyone and I think that that's what these films do best is be kind of for everyone ideally right. although I do have some history with Richard Curtis can I share it?
1: Can Uh-oh. I share it? <gasps> <So> this one <gasps> we... united him in New Zealand <laughs> No, when I was living in New York, he uh, came
0: to film at Lincoln Center for a special screening uh, and press conference. And I was like, oh my God, I can finally get to ask him the question I've always wanted to ask of Love Actually. So we rolled up to this press conference and any questions, various questions. And I was like, I just, I, I want to know what you have against middle-aged women being allowed to be in love and have happy endings. And he looked very confused. I don't know if that's exactly how I phrased it. He's like, well, what do you mean? And I went, well, let's go through the (laughs) storylines. You read him for filth. (laughs) I did. Oh man, it was bad. Uh, In terms of who is the kind of predominant person in the scene, um, Emma Thompson, doomed to live and parent with a philanderer. Laura Linney. We haven't even talked about the Laura Linney storyline, but you know, Sad old Carl, sad old hot Carl just ups and leaves after oh. the second phone call from Laura Linney's, uh, you know, incarcerated, mentally incarcerated brother. So Laura Linney doesn't end up with any love. Uh, and then there's a storyline that was written out, that was cut out of the film, <gasps> that was filmed and cut out, which is that the school principal, she her, her uh, common-law wife was dying of cancer and dies on Christmas Eve but right. you know, it's lovely and beautiful and they're sort of saying farewell to each other, but again, ends up without love. And he he kind of stood there and went, I ah. Oh, I guess I I guess I hadn't really added it up and 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 thought about it that way. And then he went, no, hang on it, hang on. Liam Neeson got, you know, middle aged love. And I went, with Claudia Schiffer. <laughs> that does not <laughs> but it was, that was quite funny, though. That, that, you yeah. know, <laughs> Hugh Grant falls in love. You know, gets to gets to win his employee. Colin Firth gets to win his employee. Liam Neeson gets Claudia oh Schiffer. They're, they're Colin employees. Frizzle gets like four American women. It's just, yeah. What can
1: we say about it? Well, maybe that's a good segue for us to recommend other romantic. <laughs> well, wait. Comedies. I know.
3: I was. I was also. I, oh, have, oh, yeah. Yeah. I have. I know. We all have too many things. <laughs> Can we all do like? Go can we all share like one more last? Yes, one maybe one on? more
1: bullet point from Love Actually no before points. we before we move into uh, <laughs> our recommendations. Ella, why don't we? Well, st- I just
2: have a question. Yeah, because I feel like we can't not talk about the music. Um, I just want to say first of all that the score I think is just somehow just the craziest thing because I I don't remember any other score like I remember the score for Love Actually like I feel like it's made of something different to other musical scores and up until this rewatch I hadn't checked, who wrote the score, and it's Craig Armstrong, Grammy-winning composer Craig Armstrong, who I also only recently realised is Baz Luhrmann's Luhrmann's guy. Mm. So Craig Armstrong wrote the score for Moulin Rouge, my favourite film of all time, and Romeo and Juliet, also amazing. So that's crazy. Anyway, I just want to say that was good, but my question to all of you... There's a lot of needle drops in this film. Um, I'm gonna kick things off and say that my favourite needle drop is Dido's "Here with Me," <gasps> which begins right after Kira Knightley realizes that she is in all of the footage where she looks quite pretty, actually. I and um, and Andrew Lincoln is a self preservation blah blah blah. But uh, I uh, like Dido's "Here with Me." You know, first of all, great song kicks off there, and but then it like the climax plays. As Andrew Lincoln, Walking Dead guy, is walking out down the street and he's wearing this like very specific knitted cardigan, which I do think that as a rule, knitted cardigans should have buttons, not zips. But, you know, that's another thing. But his has a zip and it also has, exactly, thank you. And it also has like one of those really like high necks, which you never zip up all the way because you would, you know, this is too much. And to like the climactic point of here with me, he just like violently zips up his like cardigan all the way. And I do think that invented the needle drop. And then at yeah. the next climactic bit, he like yells in the middle of this square where everyone's shopping and a man with Christmas bags just like goes, boom and like jumps out of his skin. Anyway, that's my favorite needle drop. What's yours?
1: Did you say, sorry recap, you say this movie invented the needle drop. Is that a statement that I just heard? I
2: believe so. Yeah, they didn't have them before this one. No, I'm not going
1: to press that statement. I'm just going to let it sit, and we'll let the listeners decide on that.
3: That's what happened. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, "Jump Pointer" by the Pointer Sisters, um, which kind of segues into what I really need to need to talk about a little bit more, which was Hugh Grant's dance sequence. I feel like I've I've said I've shared about how much it means to me intimately, um, but I was wondering if. Do you guys like it? Do you guys like seeing him dance around? I love it. Do you guys like it? <laughs> I want more. Yes. I'm not
1: I'm not mad about it. Okay, I thought cool. it was pretty Slim? good. I thought I liked it. Yeah.
3: It's just because like, I
0: mean,
2: what do you need? Yeah.
0: What about what do you mean I need? What do I need? What? What
2: like what's missing? No, I'm what not do you mad about that
0: scene? I'm not mad about Hugh Grant jumping around. That's all that yeah. I'm fine with it. I'm good with it. I'm happy about it.
3: He's always saying, like, <laughs> he's always talking about how much he hates dancing. Like every single interview he does, he says he yeah. hates it so much. He's done it in this. And music and lyrics. In Florence Foster Jenkins. And in Paddington 2. Too. In Wonka. Like, he has a whole he, choreography. Yeah. whole choreography. So it's like, so you're a liar. You're lying you. Do we trust constantly. anything
1: he says at this point? Should we...
3: Well, no, you cannot trust anything. No, he's British
2: and polite and handsome. You can't trust anything a polite British no. handsome man ever Which leads says- me
3: to Colin Firth. This is my last story, I promise. This is my very last thing. And it's that I was spending time with my mother who gave me Hugh Grant Colin Firth disease a long time ago. And she um, she was like, what was that rom-com with Colin Firth where like he goes on a vacation and he meets that woman and he learns a language for her. Um, and I was like, that's his that's a story in Love Actually. Like, it's it's in Love Actually. She's like, no, it's a whole movie. Like, it's an entire movie <laughs> that this happens. And I was insisting. I was like, no, this is, is like, I know, Mom. Mom, I know Colin Firth's filmography. And this is Love Actually. And she did not believe me until she rewatched Love Actually recently and was like, yeah, it, it was Love Actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Well, you know, for some people, for a lot of people, Love Actually is just a storyline, you know? Yeah. Like, mm. I just, I, I love this review from Andrew. Some of these storylines are more undercooked than your Aunt Denise's Christmas ham. Holy shit, that Martin Freeman porno set storyline just throw it right out the window. Laura Linney <laughs> and Rodrigo Santoro have a third of a story, so that can be chucked in the bin as well. Weird Loser Who's Horny for American Girls, you guessed it, right to the town dump with that one. <laughs> the
2: town dump. But Andrew... <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening, I want to know what you would keep yeah. and what you think is actually good. Well, <laughs> like, okay. I'm, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing, but like I, I'm fascinated to well, know. Well,
0: then that brings me to my. I, I'm going to pick two needle drops, uh, Slim, and they're not really needle drops, I guess, because they're you know core part of the you know the diegetic sound as as you would. Um, obviously, both sides now. Joni Mitchell, Emma Thompson mm-hmm. can't do without it. It's it's the scene. Um, but secondly, I love Bill Nye. And his <laughs> manager. That is my favourite storyline. Bill Nye is amazing. I think that he was completely underseen and under-celebrated until Richard Curtis elevated him to the role of Billy Mack in Love Actually. And the stupidity of taking the Trogs 60s pop hit that Wet 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 then made into a massive hit in the... 80s or in the 90s that uh, was in Four Weddings and a Funeral taking all of that and adding Christmas to the lyric stupid genius (laughs) absurdly dumb I adore it Slim, did you have a favorite song here? No,
1: I, I can't <laughs> name one scene. That-
3: oh, oh, wait, what about All I Want for Christmas? When they sing All I Want for Christmas at the end, oh, I used to listen to my that God. song so much because I had the Love action soundtrack. And that was the version that I knew more than the Mariah Carey version.
2: Mia, you have no idea what it meant to be like seven years old when this movie came out and seeing Joanna, the American girl, singing this song. I'm like, I want to be her when I grow yeah. up. And every year since then...
3: I am now 27, and I'm like, when I grow up, I'll be like Joanne. Yes. No, yeah. And fun fact, she grew up to play Marceline in Adventure Time, if that means Good anything time. to anybody here. Yeah. Right. I thought maybe I'd get so slim cool. with that one.
1: Okay, yeah, you did get me with that one. Damn. Yeah.
0: So okay. therefore, it is All I Want for
1: there, Christmas yeah, is You. Now, That's now now favorite, that is my favorite, favorite Okay.
0: I love how many weird lists this film shows up on on Letterboxd, um, including our own. I, I needed to, I should have added at the beginning that, Love actually is ranked eleventh in the hundred most obsessively rewatched love stories on Letterboxd. That makes sense. So it close also to makes top our 10. so close to top ten. Mm. It also makes our most obsessively rewatched any stories. Um, so that's like that's important. Um, it's also in this great list called by Starboy called films that took an already amazing and well known song and made it better, made it better by adding a cinematic moment to it that you are always reminded of when you hear the song and I mean you could say it for almost any of the songs in the film but obviously it's both sides now Mm. and there's a great list by Tori if you like male directed movie watch female directed movie and I was like (laughs) what would you pair with this and so she's got Love Actually and she's paired it with The Holiday The Holiday The Great
1: The Great The Holiday Is that your reco for what people need to watch after or instead of Love Actually,
0: it is. It is after or instead of. I'd say, maybe instead of. I love the holiday. It's so ridiculous. Who doesn't love the holiday? Yeah. It's Kate Winslet and oh god,
3: you Judi, Jack, Jack Black, oh, know. Jack, know. Black. Is that Jack Black, yes, Cameron, Cameron Diaz. Diaz.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, <laughs> you. I wanted to give the holiday a shout out because for two reasons. One is that most holiday films, when you grow up in the South Pacific, where it's always summer are set in winter and I don't feel very seen. Um, But because in Los Angeles, it's not particularly wintry. It was the first kind of holiday rom-com where I felt somewhat like, ah, this is more like what Christmas is for us. No snow, not many trees, just like just doing normal life and then kind of having Christmas in the middle of it. Um, But also I just wanted to choose it as a best in show. Shout out to our other podcast because you think it's a rom-com, but it's really all about how Kate Winslet makes friends with her elderly scriptwriter neighbor and gets him his flowers from his academy.
3: And they bond over girls with gumption in old Hollywood movies. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Ooh. I'm going to make Ella do a the holiday-style apartment swap with me, <laughs> LA and London.
1: This sounds like a movie that would be filmed probably. Mm, in holiday sequel. <laughs> yes. So Ella, what is your recommendation for a holiday rom-com?
2: Like with most things in life, I have two answers. My proper recommendation that I feel is an insanely good movie that is like a surefire hit with everyone is The Shop Around the Corner, starring a very young and very peak Jimmy Stewart. Uh, It's basically what then gave birth to You've Got Mail. And like, I don't even think I'm making that up. It's a glorious um, shop-based rom-com set at Christmas time, And I saw it on a whim with my friend Cambolet at the Prince Charles Cinema in London a few years ago, just because it is, first of all, the greatest cinema in the world and they run all sorts of things at Christmas time, including the Muppets Christmas Carol, which I'm going to see at along the screening this Thursday, Uh, which, you know, also solid. But yeah, The Shop Around the Corner, I've watched it every year since I first saw it. And my partner's stepdad got me a poster for Christmas last year and it immediately got framed and is hanging on our wall. So that's my solid recommendation. My other one, honestly, that I watch every year... And I truly have no idea how and when this came into my life, but it's um, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, oh, and it's um, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's a Mickey Mouse movie, and there's three different little vignettes in it. There's one that's uh, Donald Duck and his three nephews. There's one which is Goofy and his son, and there's one which is Mickey and Minnie. The Mickey and Minnie storyline is my favourite. Um, they each want to buy each other Christmas present And like they're both Working really hard And don't, don't have enough money And so they're trying To get it together Because they just love Each other so much um, And I just I don't know It's just really nice And I watch it every year And I'm looking at my letterbox And like very Only two people that I follow Have like even given it a rating Only six people I follow Have seen it So wow. Wait have I, I it have I not marked it Have I not marked it as scene no. I have
3: seen this Okay, okay I'm going to have we'll to do something Rate quick. it Mia, yeah. 3.4. <laughs> Let's get Help those numbers Mickey. up for Mickey.
1: <laughs> Mickey needs us now more Mickey than ever. Mickey needs
3: us now. <laughs> <laughs> I So I can't say Bridget Jones's Diary again because it's too obvious and it also has all of the Love Actually stars in it. It's too similar. So I'm not going to. Um, I'm also not going to say Carol because it's not really funny. Um, so for <laughs> in, <laughs> an underseen recommendation, I'm going to say The Bishop's Wife, Starring Cary Grant.
1: Oh.
3: um, Cary Grant plays an angel, so not much of a stretch for him. And he's helping— <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's helping a bishop with his um, love life problems. And <laughs> I'm actually—my plan is to see this on Christmas Eve in theaters on 35mm this year. Oh. Um, because— I'm recommending this movie even though I haven't seen it yet. I've just been meaning to watch it for a long time and it has good reviews and I love Cary Grant as I've established many times. So that is my recommendation. Everybody should also watch Bishop's Wife on Christmas Eve. We can all pretend we watched it together.
0: I'm putting it on my watch list. on my watch list. Yes!
3: (laughs) It only has 34 fans. (gasps) It'll be Um. 35 after Christmas Eve. I'll put that on my (laughs) (laughs) top Immediately,
2: yeah.
0: Slim. What about you? Bring uh, us home. Are you, are you, you're either sitting in for a Love Actually rewatch with the fam, or you're dialing up.
1: Well, well, for sure, my wife does not watch romantic comedies. It's I'd probably be watching a romantic comedy alone, maybe at one Aww. a.m. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's more depressing than I yeah, meant
0: that's it. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Merry Christmas, because, everybody. We'll see you next is that time.
0: Because she already has,
1: you know, true love in her oh, own yeah, home. Oh yeah, that's that is for sure it. Uh, that's what I tell myself every night. But I think probably my pick is, I mean, honestly, when Harry Met Sally, I think I didn't watch it for the first time maybe until like last year, the year before. Mm. I love that movie. That's a fantastic yeah. movie. I think Billy looks mm. great in a beard.
3: And that sweater. Mm-hmm. And I'll,
1: I'll fight mm-hmm. anyone. You know, I'll fight anyone who disagrees with me. Also, Meg Ryan is next level in that film. Oh my God. Uh, I think yeah. it's a great Perfect oh, yeah. romantic comedy, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with me, which I'll, I'll gladly accept because I usually go against the grain on these shows. But.
3: I I agree. I think it's a perfect it's a perfect one. And also, as I said, Billy Crystal's sweater, his like cream cable knit sweater, oh. that should fight Colin Firth's forest green cable knit sweater in Love. Actually, I think we need to have a battle,
0: or <laughs> any of Colin Colin Firth's sweaters in Supernova. He is sweated up <gasps> in that oh, beautiful and, that his, and, oh his oh, oh God, and his reindeer jumper from British, uh, Bridget Jones' diary. Oh my God, and this reindeer jumper from Bridget British Jones' diary. Okay, so, so Slim. diary. So Slim. Slim, <laughs> I feel like you're warming to the Colin Firthness of it all <clears> and that he is no longer your cardboard guy. So I'm going to leave yeah. you with one last very cinephile tidbit about love, actually, that I think will bring you over to Camp Colin. Once and for all with Mia, Ella and myself. This is why Colin Firth is the best person in love, actually. It's because when he is racing back to propose in his one week long learned Portuguese to uh, the woman who works for him, who he's never spoken a word of Portuguese to, uh, and gets to the airport and there is one cab, you know the scene, there's one taxi at the airport. I know, exactly. (laughs) And you know who he has to give the taxi to as a gentleman? The French great Jean Moreau. She is the favourite of Truffaut, the favourite of Antonioni. Wow. That's the old woman getting into the taxi. No way.
3: No, that's insane.
2: I risked my news? Colin
0: Firth case. Thank you. Slim, are you with us? Are you with that's us?
3: That's crazy. <laughs> oh, that scene is so... I actually... Oh, God, I love that scene. He, like, lets her go, and then he's like, oh, and he, like, kind of jumps around, and he's <gasps> mad. We just don't often get to see him mad.
2: I wow.
0: don't. <laughs> <laughs> mad for giving Jean Moreau the taxi. Yeah. I need to know, Slim. I need to, I need to know. Are you with us now?
1: I Listen... For the sake of the holidays, yes. I'm yes! on board, okay? It's a Christmas we miracle. It! It's a holiday miracle, We've whatever you celebrate this this holiday season. We're together on this.
3: Christmaka. Yeah. call <laughs> Colin for Smica.
2: Merry
1: holidays, everybody. It's a
2: Christmas miracle. I have one letterbox for you that I want to read out as my closing statementslash question. <laughs> and a thing that I've never thought about before, and now it's all I'm going to think about this Christmas and next. Uh it's a three and a half star review by Holly Beth. I was going to say it was from 2016 on Boxing Day. The question for all of you and everyone listening is um, what the fuck was um, Andrew Lincoln's backup plan going to be if Chiritella G4 had answered the door instead of Kieran Knightley?
1: <laughs> Nobody knows. Least same of cards. all, Andrew Lincoln.
0: Use the same cards,
1: I reckon. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> same cards, same plan.
1: Thanks for spending some precious holiday moments with us and our cardboard hero, Colin Firth. <laughs> Thanks to production manager Sophie Shin and to Sam for the art and to Moniker for the theme music.
0: Check out Best in Show this month. It's back for season two with all the award talk that's fit to print new episodes every Friday with Mia and Brian
1: and me and Ella and Slim and like the whole team. It's, it's a whole time. The newsroom has expanded since season one. It's just only getting bigger right now. Let us know what you think of this one film roundtable format. You can send us an email at podcast at letterbox.com. We love mail. Uh, And if you love it already and want to tell the world about it, maybe leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it helps spread the word about the show. The Letterbox Show is a tape deck production. Mm -hmm.
0: Misses all around. Oh my god! (laughs) Just getting getting into the swing of it. (laughs) If that
1: music is playing right now, I'm I'm preemptively angry at myself (laughs) for adding it into the episode.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) This, this, this is a tape deck podcast.